0: Father God, I pray this morning that your word would touch hearts, Lord. The weightiness of sharing and, 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 and saying things out of context or, or that influence poorly or slightly off key is frightening, Lord. But Lord, we know, we know that your word cuts like a knife. It's like a double-edged sword. So Lord, even as I share a little bit around your word and, and add my my perspective, my shallow uh, narrow perspective that it's not my perspective that matters, Lord, but it's your word it's your word that would do the work, Lord it's your word that would bring us to a, a place closer to you Lord, a, a, a word that would bring us to a place where I want more of you Lord i want I just just help me, Lord, to receive what your word says to make the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, sure. The, the, the word that God laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago, actually, was the word blessing, or blessed, or blessed, and... Um, So I did some research on it, and and we're going to get there shortly, the Beatitudes. But I, I wanted to start by saying that, you know, the word blessing or blessed or bless is used in the King James Version 522 times. We serve a God that wants to bless. And I know some churches have twisted that to a way of prosperity blessing. It's not God's heart. It is, but it isn't. It's not his focus. He's a God that wants to bless, and um, I mean, so, you, know, you always stand up here and you say something, and then you run the risk of having five people come to you afterwards. you uh, you out of line, you know. So I'm going to just throw in a disclaimer here. So just, uh, and I want to say a very bold statement this morning. Um, Blessing is always related to something that we do. It's always linked to how we position ourselves. Our heart attitude, our approach, what we do with, God, with what God gives us. Even salvation. You can't earn salvation. You cannot earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. But you can choose not to receive it. Conversely, you choose to receive it. It's a gift. Jesus died on the cross to give us a gift. But you can choose not to receive it. Many people today in the world know that there's a God. There are a lot of people that deny there's a God. But there are a lot of people that know that there is a God and yet still choose to live away from Him. Not to acknowledge Him. But I believe I'm amongst believers here We receive, we make a choice to receive a gift called the gift of salvation. And for me, that's the greatest blessing. And out of that, there are many others that flow. But we know that, you know, and again, Nick highlighted this morning, you know, we, we, we can sometimes hammer home obedience. You know, and obedience suggests victim. Like you gotta, you gotta beat yourself up all the time, you know. Um, so, I, so I'm using the word, but I'm using it carefully this morning. But in the in the in the in the um, spirit of obedience of listening to God, doesn't always result in immediate blessing. God decides. We don't always understand his timing, do we? And we don't always understand some things that are a blessing, but to us they just don't seem like a blessing at the time. I mean, and, I, and I've used this example a number of, number of times and I'll use it again. Ask Job, Job who was rightfully blessed A righteous guy. Job was so righteous that even when his kids had parties, he would go and offer sacrifices the next day on behalf of his kids in case they'd done something wrong that had uh, upset the Almighty. And yet, tested by Satan in the most terrible way. But we know at the end of the story that God restored him more than before. We look at the Old Testament and we see many different types of blessings. In fact, they, they, they're broken down into about six different times. There was, there was a blessing of exaltation. God said, if you obey my commands, I will raise you up. I will exalt you. I will lift you up above the nations around you. They will look at you and know that you serve an almighty God. Prosperity, he promised them prosperity if they obeyed him. Their fruit, their, 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 their crops would multiply, their livestock, even their families. He promised them victory. And we know the first victory was the city of Jericho. How did they gain that victory? By shouting. He said the walls were so wide you could, you could ride a chariot along the top of the walls around the city. Those are big walls. Gave them victory. By shouting, because they obeyed him, they listened to what he had to say, he promised them fruitfulness in, in children and in health. And in the New Testament we see blessings in two forms. We see the natural and the spiritual. Uh, in Matthew Jesus, Matthew uh, four, Jesus was taken into the desert to be tested. We all know the story. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, understandably, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, what did he say? He said, Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes to him from the mouth of God. He's not saying man does not live on bread. He's saying man does not live on bread alone. We need bread, but we need the word of God. We can't live on one without the other. Well, we can, but Jesus' response was, no, I'm calling you. Not to live on just the things of the world. But the bread that comes from the word of God. And Jesus is actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and in Deuteronomy 8. And Moses, is, Moses is, has now seen the promised land and he's a, he knows he's not going in. So he's reminding the Israelites and he's reminding them of God's promises and God's expectation of them. And this is what Moses has to say in Deuteronomy 8. He says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus knew that in the desert they needed to eat, but not just relying on bread, which we make, which comes from human hands. We've spent some, I think, five days with Richard the last couple of months. Really, it's it's been very um, enabling. Uh, and, And the word we would use in what we've been doing is exegesis, and that's a word that I never really understood. And exegesis really means the critical explanation or interpretation of the Bible. In other words... Not just reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible, but understanding in a passage who's writing this. Why are they writing it? Where are they when they're writing it? Who are they writing to? What was going on at the time? And suddenly a passage then starts to open up. Oh, wow. There's context to this. And I think we've spent five days out of six and I think we're only halfway through. So I think we're going to be doing another five days because we're a bit slow. But um, it's been really, it's been really wealthy and empowering to to take the time to do what we're doing. But my attention was drawn to the book of Matthew, and uh, somebody mentioned this morning the gospel of the gospel of um, the the chosen. I don't know. There's a show going on at the moment that really does chronicle the life and times of Jesus, but including Jesus, but the people around Jesus, giving context. It's wonderful to watch. And Matthew's this tax collector. He's a bit OCD, and he doesn't want to touch anything, and he twitches, and he's a, like, one can only imagine he might have been like that. And he was very careful on how he recorded what Jesus taught. And we read what he said. We read the book of Matthew. According Matthew, the tax collector, kept track of Jesus' teachings. And um, we, look at the, we look at a breakdown of, uh, of the book of Matthew. And, and, and there's actually, there's, the, the book can be divided up into five distinct groups. And this is Matthew, very meticulous. You know, the first part of the book is, it talks about the lifestyle of the kingdom. And the second section talks about the mission of the kingdom. And the third part talks about the growth of the kingdom of God. And the fourth part talks about the community of the kingdom of God. And then the fifth is the future of the kingdom. And Matthew spent, he, he was meticulous in, in capturing this. But he starts with what we all know, and we've all read so often, the Beatitudes. And I want to read them to you uh, out of Matthew 5, because we've read them, but I want to spend some time, I just want to read through them, and then I just want to spend some time on the first one. And um, I want to read you his version first, you can follow it on the board. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to see how many times God says, "Blessed." Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you bear with me, I want to read the not-so-religious version, the not-so-holy version, the message. 5 verse 3 says, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there's more of God. And his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. I love that. See, poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, line one, are not people lacking in spirit. They're people hungry, with an unquenchable, unsatisfiable thirst for God's spirit. Never getting to that place of saying, I have enough. Always seeking God. You see, what we do is, typically, we spread our stability across a range of things. The picture that came to mind was an oil rig. You know, an oil rig floats. They're normally working above deep water, but they need to stay stable. So what they do is they put down lines or tethers onto the ocean floor, and they'll have six or eight anchors to hold the rig in place. And by doing so, then it's able to pump gas or oil and so forth. So when the storms come, it's kept in. Place. It has to stay in place, otherwise all the rigging below is going to get damaged. So we do the same thing, and there's nothing wrong with it. But we put our security in investments, maybe property, our RAs, and what have you. And God doesn't say you can't have those things. But if you allow yourself to be tethered, and even one of those tethered might be Jesus Himself. But we spread our risk across these things and added to it is the kingdom of God. But God says, no, I want you to be like a ship with one anchor. If the wind blows you that way, well, then you go that way. And if the storms come and you go that way, but I want you to tether to me. He's not saying be, be rid of the other things, but he wants us tethered to him, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, thirsty and hungry for him. You see, the Beatitudes are filled with commands of God. He's asking us to have a poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart. And, um, You know, the Bible talks about John. If I'm jealous or envious of someone, it's John. Because the Bible says that he's the one that Jesus loved. I want to be the one that Jesus loved. I mean, I know that he loves me. I know that he loves you too. John didn't know at the Last Supper when he was lying with his head on Jesus' chest, didn't know what was coming. If he'd have known, he would have held on. I want to be John. The one that's set apart. Richard preached brilliantly earlier about Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And three times, when Jesus restored him, asked him three times, do you love me? I've asked God that rhetorical question these last few months. And I know that he does. But I've asked him, Lord, if you love me, help me to love you. I know you love me. You died for me. (laughs) Just as you asked Peter, I'm asking you, because I know you do. It's a rhetorical question. It's self-answered. But, Lord, I do love you. But show me to love you more. Work in me away way of hunger. That desires more of you. Going to finish with this in Isaiah sixty six. Sorry, Isaiah fifty seven. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. This is God himself, high and lifted up. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Oh, my hat. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. I looked up, what does contrite mean? Perhaps you don't know too. It means sorry, regretful, remorseful, repentant, conscience-stricken, and humble. God asserts Himself, In the beginning of that scripture, he says, I am the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, who is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with you and me, who is sorry, remorseful, humble, to revive your spirit, to revive your heart. It's God's heart. He lives outside of everything we know. He exists out of, outside of time and space. All of creation shouts to Him the glory of who He is, the greatness and the majesty of who He is. How big is that? I, I, can't, I don't understand that. I think I do. I try to imagine. Come on. I'm so limited by my perception. Yet he exists outside. He says, and this is where I dwell, and I'm holy, and I'm outside of, but I'm with you. You of the contrite heart, you of the lowly, are the ones I want to be with. Isaiah repeats it in in chapter 66, and he says, this is what the Lord said. (laughs) Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you can build for me? Where will my resting place be? Where can you make me a bed to sleep? I can't, Lord. Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. But these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word oh my the God of heaven and earth says look who I am and yet I care for you I love you I want to be with you I will lift you up I'll look on you with favor if you have a contrite spirit I want to challenge you this morning Are you hungry in your heart? Nick shared earlier and said, you know, we need God to work in us. We need him to work in us, but we have to make space for him to work in us. I think that the Bible depicts a God that wants to bless, but only in our in a response to our desire to seek Him, to yearn for Him, to love Him, to obey Him, to follow Him, to practice what He commands, to die to self and to abide in Him. Come, let's stand.